Shalom. This is Reverend John Ferret, and this is the video of the vidcast series, Hanukkah, The Return of the King, candle number five. Now, in the previous lessons, lesson number four, especially, we talked about some amazing people. We talked about those young teenage moms, the young teenage Jewish girls married in godly marriage, rejoicing that they're going to have children, but it's the time of the Maccabees. What if it's a boy? Are they going to go against the covenant of God and not circumcise their son? They didn't. They circumcised their son. And those young moms suffered brutal deaths and their babies hung by the neck from their mother's neck. Their husbands probably killed, families probably martyred as well. And what about Hannah? That mom, that brave mom who watched her seven sons brutally tortured and killed because they would not give up on God. They wouldn't eat a piece of bacon. To worship Antiochus Epiphanes IV as God. And Hannah died as well. Amazing people. There's a phrase in the English language. And that phrase is, hold a candle to. In the 1600s and the 1500s, when a young man is, be going, is going to become an apprentice to a master craftsman, let's say. Maybe it's a jeweler. Uh, maybe it's a wood carver. Maybe it's a painter. One of the things the apprentice was asked to do, because they were worthy, the apprentice met the specifications of the master, met the expectations of the master. The master would say, hold a candle for me. Hold a candle for me so I can see my work. You can stand next to me and watch how my hands work and what I'm seeing and how I'm putting this together. So this phrase, hold a candle to, basically means, am I worthy to stand next to Hannah? Am I worthy to stand next to her seven brothers, especially the youngest one, or those young Jewish moms who never gave up on God and lived the covenant and they would not turn away from their walk with the Almighty. I don't hold a candle to Hannah or any of them. How can I ever compare myself to those Jewish martyrs during those days? Again, roughly about 170 BC. But for that matter, what about the thousands upon thousands of Christian martyrs under the 10 Roman persecutions, starting with Nero? I don't hold a candle to them. We Christians have never suffered like that in the United States. We've had difficulties. Definitely, I know that. I know Christians, fellow Christians, 
that have lived through some very difficult times, but so did those Jewish people. They lived through difficult times. They had difficult family situations and so on, but the persecution, the testing of faith, where the ultimate price is torture and death, we in the United States, we have no idea of what that's like. There are more special persons I want you to meet. One of them is an old man by the name of Elazar. And again, in the time of the Maccabees. Now, before we hear this story, indeed, let's do a blessing. A blessing to God to thank him for his word, to thank him for taking us deeper in our understanding of our walk with him. So as we enter this next lesson, the return of the king, as it's related to candle five, indeed we say a blessing, just like they said in Jesus's day, when young men and young women went to the synagogue to learn from the rabbi in, in their school, whether it would be Bet Sefer or Bet Midrash, Say a blessing to God, thanking him for his instruction, his Torah, his word. Again, I'll say it slowly so you can repeat after me the Hebrew, and then we could say it together in English. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech haholam. Ashir bachar banu. Mikol ha-hahamim. Venatan lanu et torato. Venevuim hatovim. Venatan lanu et habesora mashiach yeshua. Venatan lanu et habret chadasha. Baruch ata arnai. Noten adevrei imet. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from all people and given us his Torah and the good prophets and given us the good news of Messiah Jesus and given us the new covenant. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the words of truth. So let me introduce Elazar to you. I found this picture of a rabbi, a painting of a rabbi. can imagine him in the temple courts in Jerusalem back in the days of the Maccabees, standing next to the columns surrounding the house of God. Now, this story of Eleazar is in 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verses 18 through 31. He's a Torah teacher. It'll say that right away. He's a teacher of the Bible. In other words, he had the same position in society as Jesus did. We say rabbi. They really didn't call them rabbis until way after 70 AD, way after the temple was destroyed. Um, and then finally, there was a process where a young man would go, go through that process of education and so on and actually become a ravi, 
my master or a master, a rav. But in those days, rabbi was basically um, a Hebrew word, basically of honor and respect, and basically declaring that this person is a great, wise man of God teaching the Torah. So he, we might want to call him Ravi, my master. As we go into his story, we read, there was an elderly and highly respected teacher of the law, teacher of Torah, by the name of Elazar, whose mouth was being forced open to make him eat pork. This, is, this reminds you of the seven brothers and Hannah's, Hannah's sons. But he preferred an honorable death rather than a life of disgrace. So he spit out the meat and went willing to the place of torture, showing how people should have courage to refuse unclean food, even it cost them their lives. Those in charge of the sacrifice had been friends of Elazar for a long time. And because of this friendship, they told him privately to bring meat that was lawful for him to eat. So they brought, they substituted beef. He need only to pretend to eat the pork, they said. And in this way, he would not be put to death. He would save his own life. But Elazar made a decision worthy of his gray hair and advanced age. All his life he had lived in perfect obedience to God's holy law. So he replied, kill me here and now. Such deception is not worthy of a man of my years. Many young people would think that I had denied my faith after I was 90 years old. That is the key. He did not want young people to think that he was a sellout and perhaps even disturb their faith, perhaps even make it easier for them to turn from God. If I pretend to eat this meat just to live a little while longer, it would bring shame and disgrace on me and lead many young people astray. For the present, I might be able to escape what you could do to me. But whether I live or die, I cannot escape Almighty God. If I die bravely now, it will show that I deserve my long life. It will also set a good example of the way young people should be willing and glad to die for our respected, for our sacred and respected laws. As soon as he said these things, he went off to be tortured and the very people who had treated him kindly a few minutes before now turned against him. These were Jews. These were fellow Jews, probably fellow Torah teachers. We would say fellow rabbis because they thought he had spoken like a madman. When they had beaten him almost to the point of death, he groaned and said, "Lord, the Lord possesses all holy knowledge. He knows I could have escaped these terrible sufferings and death, yet he also knows that I'm gladly suffered these things because because I fear him. So Elazar died, but his courageous death was remembered as a glorious example, not only by young people, but by the entire nation as well. Elazar, when I read this story for the first time in my study of Hanukkah over these past four, five, six, seven years, this man became my hero. I said, can I live like this man? Can I think about the possibility of facing 
such a situation has he faced. He would not even eat a piece of beef, kosher beef, beef that was allowed to eat to save his own life, to save his life, because he knew what it possibly could do to young people and that they might turn from their faith because they said Elazar turned from his faith. He's a teacher, I'm a teacher. And he has become my hero. And my prayer is always, Lord God, may I be able to hold a candle to Elazar. I wish, I do I have the strength of faith, the strength of character, the courage, the bravery, the chutzpah? Wow. We live in times that definitely are turning towards evil and chaos. Many of the foundation principles that we hold dear in the United States are being challenged. It looks as if an entire presidential election was totally done in an unconstitutional manner across the board, stolen. And for us, may we be Hannah's. May we be Elazar's. May we be like the seven brothers, seven sons of Hannah. For the young Jewish girls who have not give up on their faith and had their sons circumcised, knowing they'd face death, but they didn't want to turn from God. Let's turn our focus And I want to take you to the Shephelah. The Shephelah are the foothills in Israel. You're looking at the Shephelah, obviously foothills right before you. You're looking at the ancient city of Azekah. You can see the trees cleared away on the opposite hill in front of us. And directly behind that hill, about five miles, actually to the left, yeah, to the left, angling to the left would be the ancient city of Gath. And you're looking at the Valley of Elah below there, and someplace in this location is where David met Goliath. But you're looking at the Shephelah, the foothills. And here's another picture of the foothills, the Shephelah in Israel. And the reason I bring this up is you remember that it says that Jesus went to the wilderness to pray, or he went to a lonely place to pray. In Greek, the word is erosmos. And erosmos, that Greek word, basically means a place where you can go where there's nobody at. It doesn't mean the wilderness. It doesn't mean the desert. It doesn't mean the area around the Dead Sea. But if you were to walk on that hill, and maybe on the hill just to the other side, you'd be in a place where there's no people, maybe away from that road and you would be in erosmos. That word erosmos by our translators many times has been translated wilderness, where Jesus was in the wilderness. No, he was in erosmos. It could very well be he's in the Shephelah, or he's in the hills just outside of Jerusalem where there were green trees and so on. But So I want to let you know that because it's related to another aspect of how Jesus uses the days of the Maccabees, to talk about his coming. In the wilderness, due to the fact that 
a lot of the underlying rock foundation of Israel is limestone. You find caves all over the place. Here you're finding a cave near Beth Shemesh in the Sorek Valley. Just below this cave is a stream called the Sorek Stream. This valley is called the Valley of Sorek. And some people say that this is probably the cave that Samson hid in as we read about his accounts in the Hebrew scriptures. But anyway, when we take a look at the cave, what we find in the book of Maccabees is right after Mattathias and his sons and the people in Modin flee to the hills, many other villages followed suit. Many other villages fled from their towns and many of them went to the caves in the Shephelah in places where it was lonely. So that it was not necessarily the wilderness, not necessarily the, the desert. And they hid in caves, families, moms, dads, their kids. And, they're fled, and they likely fled during December or January. Because as we read the book of Maccabees in the beginning of the revolt of the Maccabees, that probably happens after December in January or February. So when we go to the first, the first book of Maccabees in chapter 2, verses 31 through 38, we read the following. And it was told to the king's men who went out towards them, in other words, the Seleucid Greek army had heard about these Jewish families who had hid out in the caves, probably in the foothills, and they made war against them on the Sabbath day. And they said to them, do you still resist? Come forth and do according to the edict of King Antiochus, and you shall live. And they said, we shall not come forth. Neither will we be obey the king's edict, edict to profane the Sabbath day. I always find this interesting. The Sabbath day. These Jewish dads and moms and kids, they would not come out. They would not fight on the Sabbath day. They would not desecrate it because basically they said, no, we're not supposed to put forth any effort on the Sabbath. And fighting is definitely an effort. And I think about how the church looks upon Sabbath. Yeah, it just means going to church for 45 minutes. No, it isn't. Not the biblical Sabbath. How many of us rush to get out of church so we can go home and shopping and go home and watch the football game? And I mean, if we were faced with this, this is what I mean by we Christians not holding a candle to these people? If somebody came to us and said, you can't go to church on Sunday anymore, and if you do go, you're going to die, we'd say, fine. Think I'll go to Subway and get a sandwich and then uh, go bowling. But these people. And they made haste to give them battle, but they answered them not. Neither did they cast a stone at them nor stopped up the secret places, saying, Let us all die in our innocency. And heaven and earth shall be witnesses for us that you put us to death wrongfully. So they gave them battle on the Sabbath, 
and they were slain with their wives and their children and their cattle to a number of a thousand persons. Before we return to the Mount of Olives, if you keep on reading in that section of the book of Maccabees, it talked about that Mattathias and Judas and his brothers, they all heard about what had happened to their neighbors from neighboring towns. Thousands, thousands would not fight on the Sabbath. Mattathias made a decision and he said, it says to do not work on the Sabbath, but it also says to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a greater command. And Mattathias basically said, we need to fight. We need to love our neighbors, our children, our wives, and we need to fight on the Sabbath. Because loving your neighbor, <laughs> loving our family is a higher law much higher law than not working on the Sabbath. And so that was their decision based upon their interpretation of the law. And they were deeply grieved, deeply saddened by losing so many thousands of young, innocent people, and, uh, young and old, innocent people, moms and dads and kids. So now we return to the Mount of Olives. And again, someplace Jesus is teaching his disciples and once again, we read these words. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that was candle one, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. That was candle two. Whoever is in the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. That was candle three. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. That was candle four. And then he says this, in sequence, in order. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on Sabbath. What's going through the minds of his disciples? What are they hearing? What did they think of? The book, 1st Maccabees, and the book, 2nd Maccabees, were already written. They were available in Jesus' day. Probably books that were indeed read by many Jews, because this was their July 4th. This was Remember the Alamo to them. And they would remember... May our flight not be in winter like the thousands of families who followed Mattathias, or on the Sabbath, like the thousands of families who hid in the caves and would not fight because they would not disobey God on the Sabbath. And so we light the fifth candle. And it's a remembrance of those moms and their dads and their kids who never gave up on their walk with God. They would not fight on the Sabbath. Amazing. 
And Jesus is saying, the days before he comes will be similar. Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melach HaCholam, Ashira Kitshenu Bimitsudav, Veinatan Lanu Yeshua, Adonenu Mashienu Hahor HaCholam. Blessed are you, Lord our God and King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and given us Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, and the light of the world. Yes, Jesus will return. No question. By his very own words, the very words of God, we know he is going to return. And already he has shown us that the time of the Maccabees, the time of those difficult days, those days of horror, days of massacre and martyrdom, and persecution. It will be similar the days before his return. If we think the time of the Maccabees is bad, if we think the 10 persecutions under the 10 Roman emperors was bad for the early Christians, it's like Jesus saying, you ain't seen nothing yet because there will be tribulation like nobody has ever seen before by his very own words. There's a pastor that many of you have heard of. His name is Andrew Bunsen. Brunson. Brunson, sorry. And Pastor Brunson was a missionary in Turkey for over 20 years, and he was uh, captured and imprisoned, and, and imprisoned certainly because he was a Christian preaching the gospel, a missionary there, and the Muslims put him in the jail. He was there for a number of years. He was freed by the efforts of President Donald Trump in October of 2018. He's now back living in the United States, and he wrote an article the article is called, We're Not Ready, and it was in Christian headlines. I've linked you to this article at the website. So if you go to the website, www.lightamenorah.org, and remember, menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H, all one word, lightamenorah.org, and you look for this lesson, Hanukkah, Return of the King, Candle 5, underneath the picture, underneath the picture of the... Um, Hanukkah menorah with the five candles, you'll see my description and my background information for this lesson. Uh, but in there, at the end of that, there will be a link to this article. And so you can get this article for yourself. But basically, he's saying that he is, we're not ready as Christians. Quoting from the article, Pastor Andrew Brunson, who served as a missionary in Turkey for 20 years, recently predicted that U.S. Christians will face increased persecution in the near future. He warned of increasing pressures in the United States, regardless whether it's Democrats or Republicans, he said, especially towards people who embrace Jesus Christ and his teaching, who are not ashamed to stand for him, who are not ashamed to stand for him, like the moms and the dads and their children in the caves of the Shafela. 
who would not get who, who, who would not fight on the Sabbath. Or Hannah, her seven sons, or all those young moms. My concern is that we're not ready for this pressure, meaning Christians, the church. And we're not being prepared and not being prepared in a very dangerous, dangerous, and it, this is very dangerous on a number of levels. We're not being prepared. I know some people talk about, oh, the rapture is coming. There are people who believe the rapture is coming, and there are people, good Christians, who believe the rapture is not coming. And I believe both of those sets of Christians are going to be saved. Now, I know there are some denominations out there who believe that the rapture is dogma. It is written in the Bible. Um, there are very few and far, far between. There are some people who hold a pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib. Some are amillennial. All of this discussion about rapture, pre-trib, post-trib, all that, Real Bible scholars, and I have been taught by some of the best, said this is valid interpretations of us as we look at the Bible, but it's our opinion because God never said and used the word rapture. He never detailed the rapture as many of us detail it. So is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I don't hold to man's opinion. I appreciate their ideas, and I study them further. But the issue is not worrying about man's opinion, but worrying about the Word of God. And am I ready? What type of persecution, what type of difficulties will there be before? Let's say the rapture is going to come. Will there be difficulties? Will there be persecution? Maybe on a mild level, prior to the rapture? Pastor Brunson is basically saying we have to be prepared. Despite his imprisonment, Pastor Brunson believes God would providentially use his story to help prepare other Christians to persevere despite the forthcoming trials. He says, I think one of the purposes God had for me in my imprisonment was that I learned perseverance at a deeper level again and again and again. As I was repeatedly broken and finally he rebuilt me. But one of the purposes he had for me was to learn this perseverance so that I could help to prepare others to persevere, to endure. We're not ready. The culture of the United States, I don't care whether it's Republican or Democrat, is becoming more godless, more anti-Christian. In the other video, I, I mentioned 60 million babies murdered since 1973. 60 million. We're not a Christian nation. So we remember the young Jewish moms who circumcised their sons. They would not give up on the covenant with God. The seven brothers, the seven sons of Hannah, who died horrible deaths. And they wouldn't even eat a piece of pork. 
and Hannah, the mother, encouraging her sons to stay the course and not to turn away from the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Israel, the creator God, the God that we believe in as well. It's like Paul says, there is only one God. And so for us, my prayer is, I want to hope for the best. In other words, there are people who are saying the rapture is going to come and we're all going to just escape all of this. Why? We, we don't hold a candle to Hannah. We don't hold a, a, a candle to the thousands of Christians who died under Roman persecution or the Christians that are dying today. United States, we're, I mean, we're so soft. Us? We deserve the rapture. That was a question posed to me by my teacher in Turkey when we were visiting the seven churches and we were studying what happened to those Christians under the persecutions of the Roman emperors. We, we deserve rapture? They did. We don't hold a candle to them. But like I said, I hope for the best. But I plan for the worst. So may it be, Father, that you help us be ready. May you help us, Father, have a faith like the seven brothers. The faith of Eleazar. Who would not eat a piece of beef and substitute for the pork to save his own life because it could very well be that he would hurt the faith of young men and young women that he was teaching. And may it be, Lord God, that you would help us be ready for the return of the king. May he bless you with his shalom. Shalom.